0: I am uh, I'm jittery this morning. I've got a lot of medicine inside of me, and I I just feel like we're not going to do First Corinthians. we are just do all Psalm one nineteen, the whole sermon. I think I could do that right now. It's just I'm I'm going to be okay. I think I asked Pamela if my Sunday school made sense this morning, because I just felt like I was all over the place. Wait till baptism tonight. That's gonna be pretty exciting in there. So okay, well let's see what happens. First Corinthians twelve. Starting at verse twelve, we're actually further down the page than uh verse twelve. We're we're going to uh let's see. Verse sixteen no, not sixteen, sorry. It's back here. Twenty three is where we're gonna be. But We're starting at 12, because we're looking at the practical side of the functioning of the church. The first handful of verses in this chapter were the theological side, or or the way God designed the church to be. And uh, what we need to learn from verse 12 on is how to do it. And that's an important section that we're in from verse 12 on And so we're going to have a word of prayer and dive right into the passage. Heavenly Father, help us today as we submit ourselves to reading your word, we ask that you give us understanding of your word. And even beyond that, give us an application that we might live it out, that we might do what you have shown us here to do, to avoid the things that are detrimental to the functioning of the church and to follow carefully the way you have designed it, that it might be run at its peak potential, that our Savior might be glorified, that we might be edified, that the world may see the power of Christ through his church. May we not take these things lightly today as we look at them, but change our hearts, we pray, Lord, for there are so many things that we will read that might just Smite us right there at that spot, and if so, Lord, work with us as you always do with your gentleness and your mercy and your care, but also your intentional, and I like that about you. You do not stop short of your goal in us to be like Christ, and so we submit ourselves to that today as you show us from your word what we shall know. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, in in our section we're working through, and really, verse 12 is where it becomes practical. It's really verse 15 on, that starts to deal with that issue that's really uncomfortable. And you got the first part of that last week. The difficult thing we discussed was pride. And nobody likes that word. It's a difficult thing to talk about. But it's even more difficult to talk to somebody who has a pride issue. Because they're going to deny it. Matter of fact, they deny it very adamantly, very fervently, that they don't have a pride issue. And I've encountered that many times over the years. And the experiences I've seen in church work, it's simply this, and I'll just say it as I wrote it here. The day pride rises up in a church, all kinds of challenges come with it. And many ministries and many people get hurt And it's not uncommon to have seen it in church work, especially church rescue work that we were part of. Um, I called it the number one disease. And I use the word disease because everyone was not at ease when somebody with pride was especially in a position of leadership. There was a lot of trouble. I'm not going to tell you all these stories today. I've got pockets of them and just lots of, of things I've experienced and seen and, and seen the the disastrous result of pride in a church. Um, I'm just simply a, introducing the fact today that uh, when we talk about the second round of pride, there's two sides of it that we started last week. We did one side. The upside-down pride is verse 15 through 19. And that's where the foot says, because I am not a hand... I am not part of the body. Is it not for this reason, any the less a part of the body? And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I'm not part of the body. Is it not for this reason, any the less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? The two barriers, I called them massive barriers last week, that prevent dependence. Because we as believers, as members of the body of Christ, we're dependent on each other. And I've been saying that for many, many weeks. But uh, this passage teaches it very clearly. But the two massive barriers in it are these issues of pride. Uh, The first one addressed, like last week, from 15 to 19... Is, is a pride that's actually uh, upside down. I called it upside down because the 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 gist of it is that I don't have a place in the body. You you have devalued yourself all the way through. I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not important, I'm not wanted, I'm not needed. That's a pride. And that's what we've been looking at last time, because pride has a large range of expressions. Most of the time, we think of it as the excessive side, too much pride. Somebody says, I don't need you, I don't need you, I can do it all myself kind of mentality. But there's the other hand, where you might say it's the absolute lack of any kind of esteem for yourself, or value that you put within yourself, but that's not what God sees. God gives great value to those he loves. He sent his son for you, did he not? Was that a mistake? I don't think so. That just shows you how much he loves you. That's how important you are to him. He wants to spend eternity with you. Think of that. And then people will say, well, I'm not needed. I'm not a hand. I'm not needed. I'm not part of the body. Well, I asked you last week, you helped me with this. The facts are this. Is a foot a part of the body? Yes, you all agreed to that. And that was right. And we said, is a hand a part of the body? Yes. And which one is more important? There's no difference. They have different parts and different pieces and different things they do. But you can't say one's more important than the other. A foot can't be a hand. A hand can't be a foot. That's true too. What I shared with you with all reference to that is the words of A.T. Robertson who said one day, thinking and saying so does not change the facts. The facts are here. A foot is a foot, a hand is a hand, but they're both members of the body. And so it's very interesting when we read those words, and this is just a summary for a moment here, but it says, because I am not a hand. I am not part of the body. The focus is on me. And that's where we get in trouble real quickly. When we start to put our focus on ourselves, that's where we get off track. Because we're looking at I. I, 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 I. I. And when we're there, we're, we're saying like they do, if you're looking like this person does in verse 15... I'm not the right part. I'm not the right part. I deserve a better part than this. Whatever the Lord made me, I I should be better than this. I should be different than this. I don't have the same value of other people. I don't have the same importance of other people. I don't have the same reason for being in the body of Christ as other people do. And that suggests something terrible, folks. Because when we go down that road, and we have before, haven't we? When we go down that road, we suggest that if God made me a foot, he must have made a mistake. If God placed me in this body, in that place, he must have made a mistake. Nobody here wants to say that, do they? But that's the gist of this end of pride. I is more important than what God has done. You see it? And that's detrimental to the church. That's that's even... Stating something that's inaccurate, because verse 16, 17, and 18 follow, as we saw, if the year says, because I'm not an I, I'm not part of the body, and then jump down to verse 18. But, listen, now God set the members, each one of them, in the body as it pleased Him. If we could just stop and rest in that, wouldn't that be Wonderful. Just to say, I am what God made me. I am in this body because it pleased Him. I have a function in the body because it pleased Him. And I know you want to please Him, don't you? Don't you want to rest in His pleasure too? He designed you this way. How disappointing it is when when somebody gives a gift and the person doesn't appreciate it. You've ever had that happen before? You gave somebody a gift and they didn't appreciate it? They didn't esteem it like you did? God gave you a gift. He gave you a gift in the body, didn't He? Don't look down upon it. Don't look at it as if it's a mistake. Because that's where pride starts to step in here. And your opinion then suddenly becomes more, um, more of an opinion than God's opinion. That's dangerous. So I'm just starting with that because we talked about it last time. And uh, I don't want us to be down on that side of the spectrum, right? You don't want to be down there either. Because that's one thing that's really detrimental to cooperation in the church body is when part of it is saying, well, I don't belong. I'm not needed. I'm not wanted. I'm not important. And God, I don't know why he put me here, but it's, it's not the right place. That's, that's not where we want to go. That's upside down pride. Okay. Now, what I wanted to do, I'm going to do now, because last time I filled up all my time with that and never got to the real application. So I'm going to hit the application, go back to the second part, and then hit the same application again. Are you ready? I've got medication. I could do this. Okay. Philippians chapter 2. Just jump over there for a minute with me. You know the passage. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 1. Now, I'm intentionally, as I read, I'm going to comment as I go, and I'm going to intentionally change some words. Not that I, I see any problem with the text we have in front of us, but there are Greek phrases that I want to give you the gist of it so that you see the power of these paragraphs in front of you in Philippians chapter 2. Alright? Philippians 2, verse 1. Therefore, since there is encouragement in Christ. Most of us will read, if there is any encouragement in Christ, as if, hmm, I wonder. The, the statement is actually a statement of reality in the Greek text. So I changed the word on purpose because it is reality, not question. Alright? Since there is encouragement in Christ, and is there? Yes, that is a true statement. And since there is consolation of love, and we know that too, don't we? And since there is fellowship of the Spirit, and there is, isn't there? Megan said so, and so did Jeff. Okay, that's two. And since there is affection and compassion, you see what I did? He's not hes not starting with a bunch of questions. He's starting with statements. These things are all true. These, by the way, are the nutrients, if you want to call it this, to build a healthy church body. What does a body need? Mutual encouragement, right? What does it need? Love that consoles. Do you find that valuable in your church family? I think so. Fellowship, based on the Holy Spirit. How sweet that is. Affection, compassion. These are the ingredients or the nutrients that builds up a healthy church body. And these are all realities, he says. These things exist. And since these things exist, he goes to verse 2, make my joy complete. This is what we call an aorist command. It is the most aggressive way of saying this. He says, urgently, right now, fill my joy to the brim. You can see him with his cup, right? Fill it. Fill it all the way. Fill my joy to the brim by, and there's a series of things here, being of the same mind. Paul says, Philippians, you want to make me real happy? Start with the same mind in the fellowship. Wow, what a difference that would make. And also, maintain the same love. Keep it going, keep it going, keep it going, keep it going. Unite in spirit. Intent on one purpose. You see the beauty of this? What kind of a church is this? What would it look like? What could it accomplish if they were all in tune to each other this way? Based on their mutual encouragement and love and the work of the Spirit in them and their affection and their compassion and their working together and thinking together and serving together and purposing together. That's quite a picture. Paul says, let's do that. And then verse 3. Here's where the things could jump in that gets you in trouble. Do nothing from selfish, selfishness or empty conceit. That would destroy the whole picture right away. These are the things that bring strife and division. I showed you a series of verses on that a few weeks ago. These are the things, uh, selfishness and empty conceit, that comes from strife and division. They are the indicators of spiritual immaturity. Don't do it, he says. Don't go down that road. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. You want the picture? Hold the other guy up higher. Hold the other guy up higher. Why? What's that? That's not to promote pride in him. That's not to say, hey, let's elevate all these people and make them feel good about themselves. But that's rather the cooperation that we can give one another in service to help them be in a better position to serve. Do you know who you're lifting them higher up to be like? Take a wild guess. Aren't we supposed to edify one another to be like Christ? Build each other up? Think of it. If all of us were intent on that for each other, what would that look like? That's what you think. Hold them up. Hold them up. Hold them up. Regard one another as more important than yourself. That's not to diminish you because they're going to do that for you too. But think of the difference it is when you get your eyes off yourself and you start to see that person has value and I've got to get them closer to Christ. Hold them up. Hold them up. That's what it looks like in the body and how exciting when we start to view each other that way. It's easier maybe for them to become more like Jesus. Maybe it's better for them to start to serve him better. That's Ephesians 4 all over again, by the way. If you go back to that passage, the primary task we've been given our gifts for is to build one another up to be like Jesus. And Philippians passage here is supporting that too. Don't do anything from selfishness or empty conceit. Notice something about verse 3. There are two options here. Two different avenues set before you. Two different ways in which you can think. One way, I guarantee, is damaging. If we go down the road of selfishness or empty conceit, it's damaging. Every time, it's damaging. There is no time it's not damaging Or we can go the other route, which is always beneficial, always good, always helpful, always encouraging, always in tune with what we've been designed to be. And that's when we hold up our brothers and sisters in the way I just described. Verse 3 gives you two roads to choose. Two roads. Remember when Joshua led the Israelites up there to the promised land and they were about to enter into it. And he gave them a speech, and he said, after the land was divided and they're sending them out to their places, he said, uh, um, you can see the gods of the Canaanites and all the others that are around these areas, and you know the God that has led us this far. Choose this day whom you will serve. You can choose the gods of those, or you can choose the Lord. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Some of you have that little plaque somewhere by your front door, don't you? In a sense, looking at verse 3, there's a choice to be made here. Every church makes that choice. They make that choice because we can either follow after our own selfishness and empty conceit, or we can follow after the route that builds one another up to be like Christ and serve Him best. Those are the two options in verse 3. When I'm looking at these, I think, well, is this a once and for all decision? Probably not. It's probably an everyday decision. It's probably an every hour decision where we have to reevaluate and think again why are we here? What are we doing? Why? We could get jumbled up and we can be confused and we could be tired and we can be sick and we can have all kinds of things that make us think positively or negatively, right? You been there? Most of us have. This decision is important because it's intentional. We choose. What are we going to do in the body? Look at verse 4. It concretes it. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And you say, well, Pastor, how do you do that exactly? Verse 5 and on tells you how. It sets an example before you that you will never forget. Have this attitude. That's a command, by the way. You know, commands are in the Scripture to be obeyed. You knew that, didn't you? But what are we doing if we don't obey the command? It's disobedience. Does God have every right to expect us to follow His commands? Well, here's a command. It's a present tense command. In other words, keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on. It's continuous in nature. Never stop having this attitude. Keep it. The actual Greek is exercise your mind. Exercise the mind. Exercise, exercise. How many like that word? Not many? Okay. Exercise, 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 exercise this attitude. It's going to take work. Yes, it will. Because it's not natural for us. But it was in Christ. Have this attitude in yourself which was also in Christ Jesus. Although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't come to earth to demand his rights to be worshipped as God. Oh, he had the right to do it. He had the right to do it. This was his earth. These were the people he had made. He came unto his own and his own refused him, 1 John tells us the first chapter of john but he didn't come to earth to demand his rights to be worshiped as god even though he deserved it he had a purpose he had a purpose not to get what he deserved but to give us something that we don't deserve right he came to give us the the forgiveness and the life that we could have in him and only in him so he emptied himself that's quite a picture powerful word dumped it all out, probably shook it too, make sure it was empty, emptied himself, his own self, he emptied his self, his reputation, he emptied his position, he emptied it all out, taking the form of a bond servant. that's the word doulas, I like that word, doulas, that's a good word. But that's what it is. A bond servant. Being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Folks, have that attitude. You say, but it hurts. Oh, he knows. He knows. Have that attitude. It's hard. Oh, he knows. Have that attitude. Keep it. Keep it. Keep it. And what does God think of that? For this reason also, God highly exalted him. And I know the rest of it goes and gave him a name above every name and all this. But here's a simple principle as well woven into this. When James writes in James 4.10, Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, he adds, and he will exalt you. If you're worried about being exalted, you're going to spend all your time making sure you are. When you serve him in this fashion, he'll take care of the rest of that. And you know what? He does a better job than we do. It says in 1 Peter 5, verse 6, Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Let him do it at his time, too. Let him do it at his time. Does the Lord ask much of you? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Does the Lord, will the Lord make it worth it to you? You say, yeah. You remember in Matthew 19, the story of the, the rich young man, we call him a rich young ruler, came to Jesus. I'm going to read it to you. Listen to this again. When the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, because Jesus had just said to him, if you, if you want to, he, he says, I've done everything, I've done all the commandments, I've done everything, what else do I lack? And Jesus said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and then come and follow me. And the man was grieved over that, and he walked away. He owned much property, it said. And in chapter 19 of Matthew, verse 23, Jesus turns to his disciples. He says, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were very astonished. And they said, well, then who can be saved? If he can't be saved, I don't have a chance, is their picture. They thought that was impossible. And Jesus looked at them and said, With people this is impossible. But with God all things are possible. And Peter then chimes in. I love it. Peter always has to say something, doesn't he? Simple phrase. But Lord, we left everything and followed you. What's in it for us? That's a paraphrase. right? But that's the idea. He actually said, What then will there be for us? And Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, that you have followed me in the regeneration in the Son of Man, you will sit on his glorious throne. You will be upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or farms for my sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Does that mean he's got something in mind for those who follow him? Who serve him? Do you think it's going to be better than your imagination could ever figure out yourself? Are you going to step into heaven and say, oh man, that's not what I was hoping it'd be. Scripture says you will never be disappointed. Never, never be disappointed. If I could have you memorize a verse, just write it down for now, but I would highly recommend memorizing this. It's just on my list of memorized verses in life. Hebrews 6, verse 10. It's very good for you on especially a hard day. It says this, For God is not unjust, so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown to his name in having ministered, And in still ministering to the saints. That's a precious, precious verse to keep you moving. He will not forget what you have done. He will not forget. You know what that means? I'll show you what it means. It it relieves my heart of needing to find ways to boost myself to keep on going. I can set myself aside... I could set aside my agenda. I could follow what he's called me to do. I could follow him all the way into serving others, taking my eyes off of myself, because he's taking care of everything else. I can rest in that. Can you? I can rest in that. I can say, yes, he won't forget. Matter of fact, you're going to forget a lot of things you've done. And when you get reminded in heaven, you're going to say, Oh, I forgot about that one. Probably a lot of that ones. But that's the beauty of this. All that to say this, folks. Do you see how damaging it gets when we start to insert pride into the body of Christ? It limits our efficient operations, it it limits and stifles our maturity. It renders us unfruitful, and God doesn't bless pride. He never will. Matter of fact, he says, I stand opposed to it. That's the point of the whole passage that we're working through here. Our understanding is simple we are all one in the body of Christ, and we are all individual members of it, not independent members, but individual members. Dependent upon each other to grow and to build. And the day we start to say, because I'm not a foot. That's where pride steps in. And it damages the body. That That was the first half of this. Now, the second half gets a little harder. Pride part two. You ready for it? Start in verse 19. 19. That's 1 Corinthians. Okay. Back up. 1 Corinthians twelve nineteen. Pride part two. This is the other side. Excessive side. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. He keeps reinforcing that. You see it? Sometimes we read it and say, you just said that. Why does anybody keep repeating themselves? Because I just like to hear it? It's because we've got to remember it. And maybe we forgot. We just passed two verses. And there it is again. There are many, many members but one body. Just to remind you, we are dependent on each other since we're all in the one body. That's what he's saying. So, verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet. I have no need of you. This is the other side of pride, the, the excessive self-esteem side, that really says, I am superior to you, and you are expendable. You are dispensable. You are disposable. You are superfluous. I like that word. It, says, it sounds fun to say it, superfluous. You are unessential You are unneeded. Folks, we're not building a football team here. We're not deciding whether or not to keep a wide receiver who can't catch. Alright? That's not what the body of Christ is. The body of Christ, the members are placed here by God, not by us. We don't vote them in. Alright? We don't sit down and say, well, I'll tell them... We'll call that church across, you know, the county and trade. Three of our guys for two of theirs. That's not the way the body works, is it? Christ didn't design it that way. Every single believer in the body of Christ has been bought by the same price. Is that true? Yes. Every single one of us were bought by the blood of Christ. That means we're important. He loves us each and every one. And to what degree? The same? Does he love some people more than others? Nope. Nope, he does not. Some people are immature. Does he love them? To the same degree? Just got to test you on this. Some people are more immature. Some people get prideful. How often Jesus must moan when he looks down upon his disciples and see them saying, who's the greatest among us? He dealt with that many times in the gospel. And all nights, that night before he was crucified, as they were walking, the gospel says, as they were walking to the room where they were going to have the last supper, as they were walking to the room, they were disputing with one another, who's the greatest? And then they fought for t- table space. I believe that's what happened next. On the contrary, verse 22 says It is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. You hear it? You see it? We say, Oh, they're weaker, they're not important. They're weaker, they're not, they're not needed. They're weaker, they're, they're not wanted. He says, no, it's true that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. You say, how? How, how is that necessary? Right, let me just give you a picture, okay? Just a picture. Say that we were building a committee in the church of members for a particular task. I don't know what it, what it would be. We're going to make a statue or something. I don't know. But uh, we're, we're going to have this committee join together, and we're going to do it. And instead of looking for the usual members who have experience or leadership or add value to the committee and such like that, uh, we look for some that have skills and put them on the committee, and we look for those that are weaker in experience and weaker in leadership, and weaker, and we say, we want them on the committee too. You say, but that kind of deludes it, doesn't it? Well, no, no, no. You, you put those folks on there, so you bring them alongside, so that you teach them, as you're leading, you're teaching them how to grow, and how to serve, and how to mature. And I guarantee you, you will grow too in the process. Because that's a challenge. You know, anybody can run a three-legged race with two people who know how to do it. But run a three-legged race with a guy who can't walk and chew gum at the same time. And you know it's going to be disastrous. But that's exactly what the learning spirit is that ought to be in the body of Christ. We ought to find those who need to mature and intentionally join them in with those who are mature. I could show you passage after passage on this one. But what we need to do is cooperate and look out for each other and build each other up. Remember, Israel was not the cream of the crop when God chose them. As a matter of fact, the disciples were not the upper crust when Jesus chose them. And if you want to remember who you were before you were saved, Scripture says that we were weak. We were hopeless, we were helpless, we were sinful, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And that's pretty low, isn't it? Our mission is that everyone in the body matures. And what's important is to see the necessity of the weaker parts. Do you see it? The necessity of the weaker parts that each of us, we have somebody to help or somebody to help us. That's dependence. That's what will make a strong body. That's what will make it productive in what we need it to be. Look at verse 23. And those members of the body which we, lead, which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. We're intentionally doing this. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has, I underline this, God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. Bingo. That's the solution to it. That's why pride will, will tear it up every single time. The moment you say, I'm more important than this part, that part, this person, that part, this part. That's where the the barriers go up. That's where the limitations arise. That's where the growth is stifled. That's where God's not getting the blessing. The glory. That's when the church is in trouble. That's what pride can do. It's kind of scary, isn't it? It's right there, isn't it? It's like it's crouching. Isn't there a verse like that? It's crouching, waiting, waiting to stay. We've got to be very careful. Our role, our role in leadership, our role as mature believers is to teach or train up others. Do you know that? Every single one of us has this. And don't think of it as your job. All right? Many times people just say, I've got my job to do in the church. Oh, you have a task to do in the church. As Paul told Timothy, he says, I want you, what you have heard from me, in the presence of all these witnesses, entrusted to faithful men so that they can also teach others. 2 Timothy two two. In other words, your ministry, my ministry in the gifts that the Lord has given us, the place he put us in this body of Christ, is so that we might reproduce more mature people. In all likelihood, in ten years, somebody else is going to have your place in this church. Do you know it? It's likely. In ten years, somebody else will be filling your place where you serve right now. Do you know that? Have you ever thought about that? Do you realize that you can start training somebody right now for that job and make a smoother transition and build them up and have them ready to go? Or else we're going to wait 10 years and we're going to stand there and say, well, who's going to fill that shoe? We don't have anybody. That's the potential. I've seen it too many times. When we start to see people above our job, when we start to see... The, the ministry instead of self, when we start picking each other up and building each other in the body of Christ, you're training the next generation to be mature too. And how quickly we can fail that generation. How quickly we can fail them and fail the church as a whole when we start to get an opinion of self that's out of line with scripture. You see it? This passage just alarms me, really. As I study, I say, oh Lord, don't make me like that. Don't make me like that. I, I want to keep this perspective because pride is an ugly thing. And if you've got to put your eyes on something, put it on Jesus. That's our Philippians passage. I told you I'd bring it back to it. Have the same attitude as he did. He didn't come here to, to be served. To, you know why he came. He came to serve to give his life a ransom for many. And since there is encouragement in Christ, since there is consolation of love, since there is fellowship of the Spirit, since there is affection and compassion, we've got the ingredients here for something great. Don't put your, your mind on yourself and your own personal interests and your selfishness and your empty conceit, but look out for the interests of others. Think like Jesus did. Give yourself to the test. Let God take care of the exaltation in the end. You see it? There it is. That's the wisdom of God in this whole picture called pride. That's what we're called to do. We're one big body in Christ. Many parts within that body. But one big body. One whole. Operating whole. Gifted as a whole. We're here together to be dependent on each other. So that we can operate like we should. It's not a place of competition. It's a place of cooperation. It's not a place of separation. But a place of cohesiveness. That we stick together tightly. And see this task accomplished. That will bring glory to our Lord. And isn't that what we want? A healthy church body. Working like it should. Serving the Savior. And him getting the honor. That's that's what the passage is showing us. Let's not be Corinthians, okay? Let's take the message that they heard and live it out. Let's do it. I think we can. But that means we have to be dependent on him too, right? Heavenly Father, we simply bow before you today with an awesome task in front of us. But one that you equipped us for one that you have made possible. You designed, you composed the body, you put it together, you did all these things. You have the end result too. You know that eventually we will be like Christ. In the meantime, as we struggle through this, as we learn, as we learn to work together as members ought to, as dependence is necessary here, we start with our need for you our dependence on you. For apart from you, we can do nothing. But also, make us mindful of our dependence on each other, that we all grow as we ought to. And look out for the other guy, and help him up, and strengthen him, and train him up, so he can serve to the best of his ability too. Make us mindful of each other, Lord, I pray, that our Savior's name might be magnified in our midst, That when they see this body, they don't see the body, they see the head. Our Lord Jesus Christ, and He gets the praise. Lord, direct our hearts this way, we pray. Help us have this attitude. In Jesus' name, Amen.